sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media from creative teams all around the world. You'll meet new developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. My name is Kyle Poletto. Our guest on Lightmap this week is Jeff Van Dyke, BAFTA award-winning composer and sound designer, whose work you'd know from Unpacking, FIFA and NHL, Hand of Fate, Alien Isolation, and many, many more. Hi, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks, man. It's awesome to be here. I can't wait to learn more about the world of sound you create. Before we get into that, though, let's find out what's making the news this week with the top stories on the latest episode of Walkthrough, Sifter's news podcast. Hi, I'm Kyle Paletto. And I'm Gianni DiGiovanni. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 5th of May. Escape from Tarkov developers relent, allowing access to PvE mode for players who bought an all-DLC bundle, but not before saying... Sorry, you're mad. Solo developed Manor Lords and indie city builder break sales and Steam records. Take Two shuts down studios behind Kerbal Space Program and Oli Oli World. And we wrap all the cool things announced at ID at Xbox. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash discord. So tell us, how did you first get involved with the team at Witchbeam? Uh, okay, well, first of all, we all used to work at a company called Sega in Brisbane, uh, which used to be called the Creative Assembly Australia. Um, it was a subset of Creative Assembly, the Total War developers um creative assembly was bought by sega and i met uh sanatan mishra and tim dawson at sega and we all worked there together on sega games or total war games and then at some point we didn't and we all went our different ways or whatever and uh then through sort of a chance meeting i bumped into uh, Sonatin, who I'll refer to as Nart, because that's his nickname, Nart. And um, I bumped into Nart in the valley in Brisbane, and he said, hey, Jeff, come and check out this game we're doing. We've gone indie, we, we left Sega, and uh, we did, we're doing this game. And I, I went over to their place a couple of days later, and I played this game that they called Assault Android Cactus. And uh, I really enjoyed the game. Is really action-packed twin-stick shooter. And they said, well, so we're looking for somebody to do the music and sound, and, and we know you know lots of people, so who would you who would you like to, who would you recommend to do the music and sound in our game? And I said, well, what about me? I'd, I'd love to work on the music and sound in this game. And uh, and they said, oh, we, we, we couldn't afford you. You know, you're doing like big AAA stuff and and I went, well, no, 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 because I mean, I respect what you guys are doing here. You're, you're, you're putting your lives on the line, going indie. Uh, you're doing this for no money, uh, except for the potential of making some money in the future if if the game does well. Why, why don't I join forces with you and I'll share that risk with you and see where this goes? Because I believed in the game and I believed in them, 
And so we, that was uh, when Witchbeam was formed with the, the three of us. Um, and yeah, so that was probably, well, that game released in 2015, I think. Um, and yeah, so we've been business partners since, uh, yeah, probably 2012 or 2013 or something like that. Yeah. That's how, that's how I met them. <laughs> uh, you know, at that time of my life, I was kind of transitioning from AAA to indie and I started working on contract with some indies, but other indies were in a similar boat to Nart and Tim and and I uh, I was able to become partners with uh, a few other indies as well uh, for the for the same reasons and and similar ben- benefits so uh, I'm involved with a few uh, different indie companies um and yeah it's worked out really well uh I prefer it than working on contract for people um cuz it's easier to it's to just sort of pour your your heart into things and not have to worry about kind of keeping an eye on the amount of time you're spending on things. You know what I mean? Because if you're working on, on contract, you got to stick to their budgets and the amount of time and you know what I mean? And, and whereas if you're sort of, um, you know, owning part of what you're creating, um, there, there's really no limit to, how much time and effort you can put into it aside from, you know, life balance. <laughs> uh, after working on big AAA titles, what is it about indie teams that uh, that have drawn you back? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, to be honest, my the reason why I dropped out of the AAA stuff was they wanted the company I was working for at the time, uh, Sega slash Creative Assembly, they wanted me to move to the UK and... Uh, I, I wasn't prepared to do that. I was living in, uh, I was living in the Gold Coast at the time, uh, near Brisbane here, and um, and yeah, so I didn't want to do that. So I kind of lost my job over that um, because I didn't move over there, and um, and so in and this was sort of post GFC, uh, global financial crisis. And from the embers and the ashes, these indies were starting to form out of all of that. And so there wasn't really a lot of AAA work happening in Australia. And so I, I, that was sort of my only option was to go in that direction. Um, and I'm really quite glad that that's what, that was the option that was there. Because if you think about it, each indie is working on different set of games. And, and so for me, I've had so much diversity in what I've been working on over the last sort of, um, you know, 10 years or so that, uh, that if I had stuck with, you know, a larger AAA, I possibly would have been continuing to do the same thing over and over again, over year after year or so. So yeah, it's been fantastic working with, with indies. And Australia is a great place to be uh, working on indie games at the moment. So much great work coming out of here. It is. Uh, to t- take it, it is. back so to uh, unpacking, what were your initial impressions of this idea when it, when it was first pitched? You know, I, I certainly do not see it being the success that it is, which is interesting. Um, I saw a game where you're picking things up that appear out of boxes and putting them away. And I, I thought... Okay, I can see how this is somewhat cathartic, and in, in, you know, and if you're into organizing and tidying and you know, uh, feng shui and all that sort of stuff, then you know, you, 
I could see the appeal, um, but I did not foresee the storytelling element uh, of the game. And um, yeah, and, I, and seeing an early version of the game, obviously that didn't really exist in the early version of the game. And it wasn't until uh, um, Ren Breyer and Tim Dawson uh, started adding the new levels and explaining the items and starting to tell me the story behind the items and the fact that there was a story behind the items i'm like that's a really clever idea i thought that was a really brilliant idea but i still thought nobody's going to notice there's a story in this game because i mean how could they we're not there's no text there's no dialogue how are they you know and wow i sold everybody short on this because <laughs> uh you know what I mean? Like I, I was. Uh, everybody's way smarter than I thought. <laughs> yeah, the the, the, the um, passive storytelling in it is so powerful. Um, it doesn't need to be. It is um, all laid out in cutscenes or you know text on screen. Um, people got it. This is so true, and I and I think it's because of that. Uh, and first of all, everybody interprets it a little bit differently, um, and also because of the way they're. They've, you know, they are themselves creating the story. I think it actually makes it more, more of an emotional connection because of that, you know, because they're not being fed the thing, they're, the the story. They're they're coming to their own conclusion what the story is, you know, which is, uh, I guess, adds a deeper connection. And you've worked on a quite a broad range of genres in your career. How did your approach to composing for unpacking differ from your previous work? Well, actually, in some ways, it was kind of a throwback to what I used to do in the 90s, in the early 90s, because um, before it was called chiptunes, we used to call it video game music. <laughs> and uh, But it became a, a genre um, called chiptunes. It's, it's a whole thing, right? When I first started working at Electronic Arts in 1992, uh, the the music technology that I had access to was, well, if it was a PC, it was this thing called a sound blaster and it had a little FM synth in it. And then we also did games for the Sega Genesis and it had an FM synth in it. FM synth was all the rage of that time of that era. It was, you know, there was this keyboard that all the musicians used in the, in the late eighties and early nineties called the DX seven. And it was an FM synth, and all the songs of that era had the sound of that synth in it. And the Sega Genesis has it as well. It also has this thing called the PSG in it, and that's the the pulse sign. Uh, I think that's what it stands for, pulse sign generator. Somebody will have to correct me on that. But anyways, it makes uh, square waves, basically. And it's that classic chiptune square wave sound, right? And um, so while while I could make interesting sounds with the FM synth, and I could even play a, 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 the occasional sample or you know a little drum hit or what have you or guitar sample, the 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 PSG had was only had one sound to it, and it's that sound we all know today, which is that square wave thing. So for a, the first part of my career, that was the only kind of stuff I wrote because that's the only kind of stuff I could write um, because of the technology, and then. The CD-ROM was invented, and then we were allowed to do full production music in a full studio and hire musicians, and you know, it's it all evolved from there. And then chiptunes kind of 
well, video game music kind of went in a completely different direction. And then, you know, a couple decades later, everybody's like, hey, that music way back that you did back in the 90s, all that old um, arcade sounding music sounded amazing because of the limitations you had. And, and, and like, like you say, you're going to chip tune concerts now, you know? Um, and so when, uh, Ren and Tim, uh, brought and showed me, um, unpacking, um, they said, you know, we're thinking it's, it's pixel art. It's, you know, we're thinking of a, some sort of chip tune vibe here. And I'm like, and they're like, you know, would you like to do that? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, we listened to some other stuff that I had done and they're like, mm, yeah, yeah, sort of like this, a little bit like that. And then, and it wasn't until that we, we combined the sound of chiptune, the chiptune sound with acoustic, uh, guitar and having that, once we had that combination, it was like, yeah, that feels right for the game. That's, that's the, the, the chiptunes matches the pixel art look of the game. And the acoustic guitar matches the characters, the character in the game, and and their their story. And and I guess an acoustic guitar has this sort of real, you know, folky, sincere kind of sound to it. And and it and uh, and it just works really well in the context of this game. Absolutely, and a lot of the emotion that we were speaking of before that people get from the the story and from the passive writing a lot of that comes from the music cues um and it's the that that acoustic warm acoustic underneath the the chip tuny stuff that i think um really sets it apart um what was it like to produce something in a mixture of both is that the first time that you've done that yeah it is actually i found it really inspiring myself um i love mashing up genres and like that i do really enjoy it and you know in other games i've you know had to like kind of go orchestral but also electronic and i like i like that combination and i mean again later in the 90s i was doing like uh, industrial music which is like electronic music but it's got super heavy guitars and you know crazy distorted drums and what have you in it so i do like this mashup thing you know um and uh, between that and and then later on in the game, I start introducing piano, and I and and I start introducing different instruments to tie in with different characters that enter the story, and like so, I'm kind of relating an, an instrument to a character, um, and so at one point the piano starts making an entrance, and and that has its own emotional uh, power, you know. So um, yeah, it was it was. Uh, um, it was a pleasure to to work on that sort of combined genre thing. If if we can go a little bit deeper into a track, this one is probably my favorite track on the Unpacking soundtrack. It's called Going Solo. What ideas and direction were you given by the team for this song? Um, so, for the game in in, in its entirety, uh, uh, Tim and Ren, we went through every level, and we even what we did is we followed this person's life, and we even mapped it out 
where they were living uh it was all based on them living in brisbane here and so at each point it's some different location in brisbane and it was like this is what's happening to them here and so i had the beats like the story beats uh for the whole game and so we could really kind of plan out how to how the music should evolve and um so for going solo um the situation is that she is um out of a bad relationship um she has I'm, I'm hopefully i'm not spoiling too much stuff here so spoiler alert <laughs> um uh she's gone out of a bad relationship she has spent some time living back at her parents place and and uh and i and i went for that song uh um for when you when you um go back to your parents place it starts with the same song that starts in the, it's the same song um uh from the very first level but it's played a bit more sad which is kind of classic um but after that level she moves into her own apartment and she's feeling good i mean feeling good would have been just as uh good as song title as going solo um she's feeling really good because she's like her she's figured out what's important to her she's been she's stayed focused on her career and her career is doing well and and she's got her own place she's moved out of her folks home again and um so yeah so uh going solo for me was like i wanted to just have that feeling good vibe come through right from the start um and so yeah when i started writing that song um i was playing around with the samples that i had uh for the guitar so the guitar in unpacking is sampled guitar so i'm i'm playing notes on the keyboard but it's playing a guitar sound and it's it's quite convincing wow yeah that's that's a surprise actually yeah it's 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 pretty amazing what the technology can do sound wise now of course like to get it to sound ultra realistic you have to put a lot of extra information in so i'm not just playing a note and sitting there like it's it's it is complicated there's like you got to set up controllers and stuff like that to try and get the best performance out of out of the synth and and one of the options in this particular sound is the the, there's all the usual guitar chords being played but they're played in different ways big open notes but also muted notes and then also some nice um thumping of the acoustic body itself and i i had my speakers up pretty loud and i was just kind of playing with the the thumping sounds uh, on the guitar body, and I, I found that they actually had quite a nice punch to them, uh, where I could almost use them like a kick and snare uh, in a drum kit. And I so I actually just initially started playing it in a real basic pattern, just a you know four on the floor kind of vibe, with a bit of a maybe a little bit of a shuffle to it, ever so slight, um, and with that being like the starting of beat of the song, um, I was messing around with another aspect of the guitar sound. Um, I actually, I think what I did is I lo- loaded another guitar layer and I was playing with the muted chords that it had. And I kind of went almost reggae with it, uh, which is that boom, chunt, 
you know, that, that kind of vibe. And I've always thought reggae had a nice uplifting mood to it. Um, and it's not that the game, the sound is, or sorry, it's not that the song is all fully reggae, but there's definitely a, a very uplifting vibe and it has some of those reggae mechanics. I, I think that, uh, that, that beat really drives it forward. And in that, in that story section of her kind of moving on, um, things are going well, progression, growth. Um, yeah, it, it, it hits really well. It's very, uh, and it, it, I, I was in a really up mood at the time, and I find that my mood definitely defines how a song is going to turn out. Um, and uh, I was vibing it, and then I kind of went in down, uh, you know, I tend to just sort of build things up from there in this case. So I kind of had the the thumping guitar beat. I had the, the, the reggae uh, guitar chords going, and then I went and did a like a sub bass kind of uh bass line on there to that and then it it kind of developed almost it would almost went a bit funky so it's like funky reggae and i was like yeah this is even more uplifting now you know so um and then i started just having fun with uh melodically uh and this is sort of my my approach in general with writing music is i like melodies that you could sing now and like that are instrumental melodies but you could also sing them out to yourself or whistle them you know and i and and i was specifically thinking well you hear a funky beat you'd want to whistle a pretty uplifting melody over top of this or you know and if it was a song that was you know supporting this this the moment of of the game like this she'd be whistling cuz she's happy she's unpacking into her new pad it's all hers you know um and so, uh, melodically, uh, I just decided to write something that I felt could be easily whistled. <laughs> and uh, but I used uh, chiptune synth sounds on it, and added some harmonies and what have you. And then there's um, a few changes in the in the song where it changes to some different chords. And I am a huge fan of. I'll call them angular chord changes where where it's just something that's not just a standard you've heard it all before it's just like something that's just a little bit well, it's you know there's a twist to it a little bit angle I call it angular I don't know if that's the right word for it but um and and what that represents is there's still you know the the little t- hint of fear of moving out on your own and will you survive and is everything going to be okay? And I didn't want that to be a, a really strong note in, in this song, but I wanted it to be there. You know what I mean? And, and so there's the, the, this, this, these core changes and melodic changes that are, are like, I, I hope everything's going to be okay. You know what I mean? It's like, it's sort of asking that question. Um, and, and then, at, but the majority of the song is that it, it's, um, you know, feeling good. She's living on her own. So, 
it's an incredible attention to detail and um, I think it goes a long way. Those those subtle differences go a long way into people understanding that passive writing that you were surprised so many people um, understood. Was there any more notable ones off the top of your head from any of the other tracks where it had similar um, you know, shifts in mood or slight undertones to, to portray the story? Yeah, for sure. And in fact, the song from the level uh, uh, previous – Lost and Found, I think, is the one that I'm thinking. Um, <clears throat> and that's that's for when she's moved back in with her parents, right? So the, the previous level. And there are moments in that song which are represent a conversation between the main character and the partner that she is no longer with. And there's a point where it's like they are, it's sort of back and forth, question and answer. And then um, it, at, a, at one point they start to harmonize. And, and my thinking here and this is what I was reading into it, and it, whether it comes across when you listen to it, is that this is that the counter the the question answer is a is an argument. It's an argument between them, and they're saying stuff to each other back and forth. But they they reach some sort of agreement, and when that when the melodies start to sort of harmonize and work with each other, that's them kind of going, yeah, okay, you, we're just not meant for each other. It wasn't meant to be, but we still kind of. We'll be, we can be friends, you know, it's a, it's an amiable breakup and, um, uh, whether that's accurate or not, I'm not sure because <laughs> there is a point in that level. I think you might remember there's this point where, uh, you, you have to put a picture somewhere. Um, and yeah, I don't want to spoil that, but anyways, uh, this was what was going on in my head and, uh, and the song kind of just goes through a whole whack of moods and kind of ends on a, on a happy note in the end. Um, but you definitely go through like something that feels really sad and cause yeah, she's bummed. She's, you know, the relationship's over and, and, uh, she's back in her old bedroom, which is no longer hers anymore. It's like where they store the sewing machine and all that. So uh, <laughs> that's the, the, the music side of things. Uh, I understand the sound design, was quite a big project on its own. Uh, tell me about how you went collecting all the different sounds for unpacking. Well, um, so initially, uh, I started, like we had obviously an, an item list of all the things that were in the game, and I started recording them. And uh, I, I actually go into huge detail about this in a GDC talk that I did earlier this year. So I'll just plug that now if you're really interested in this. Um, I go into great detail, and it was earlier this year in March. So if you want to search for that, that's uh, might be some useful tips. Um, <clears throat> but basically, um, I started recording it myself, and then as the game started, the clarity of its design uh, it became clear um, that it was going to be actually a lot more work. Uh, mainly what was the issue was that um, items could be put on any surface in the room, and, and we wanted that detail of whatever surface you put something on sounded 
like that surface because you know you don't do much else in this game you know except for pick stuff up and put it down so that part has to sound amazing <laughs> and uh so <clears throat> it was like well the more detail we put into it the better it was right and <clears throat> so what ended up happening is i had to ask my wife angela to help me with this because it was um too big of a job for me to handle myself and um i had to um uh, basically show her how to do some of the recording process show her how the some of the technical stuff was set up but then at one point she kind of just went yep i got this let me run with it and she started uh uh getting all the items together um uh, we set up these this sort of fully recording studio and um and in our basement and she basically recorded all the items in the game over a period of about three months so um yeah it was it was uh a, a lot of work it was a huge amount of work and she uh you know she's really good with organizing large amounts of data like this uh probably because she, uh well first of all she's super smart um but secondly she's worked uh at electronic arts in the past doing a lot of like play by play for sports games which is all about thousands of files and naming and conventions and all this sort of stuff so this was um you know definitely her cup of tea right so um <clears throat> so i was lucky uh, that she then took it over and so we set up a uh a foley studio uh, in a spare bedroom and we had all these items from both our house and we bought some items and and uh and had to get things that uh you know like bench tops and desks and what have you all the different surfaces that we had to have and she diligently went through every object in the game uh or most objects of the game and um recorded it recorded it on each of these surfaces um while she was doing that she did notice a lot of repetition and we uh we started to notice like actually we don't need to record absolutely everything what we need to do is do some really clever uh categorization of things um uh and so quite simply instead of you know cup one uh or you know big cup small cup whatever uh, it was, you know, ceramic, uh, light, ceramic heavy, you know, so anything made out of ceramic would, would use the ceramic sound and anything made out of plastic would use the plastic sound. So all of a sudden we just needed to have really good sort of archetype sounds. Um, and then, um, the other thing we noticed is that when you put things on a soft surface, they almost all sound the same. It doesn't matter what you put. It, you'll notice the difference between a light object and a heavy object. But if you put a metal thing on a pillow and a wooden thing on a pillow, it just sounds like two things hitting a pillow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's uh, it, we saved a lot of time with stuff like that. Now, the Melbourne International Games Week starts this week. Um, how are you involved, Jeff? Um, I'm very involved this uh, for this one. Um, I'm involved with uh, APRA. Um, we're doing two um, major events. Uh, one is called Song Hubs, which is going to be uh, basically uh, four audio teams 
are going to have uh, the opportunity to produce uh, both music and sound design for a game that is uh, in a prototype stage or early stages of development. And the, the lucky attendees that have been chosen will be mentored by um, some well-known, uh, very experienced uh, composers uh, like Chris Larkin and sound designers like uh, Anne-Marie Weber and a, a, a bunch of other really interesting and uh, talented and experienced um, composers and sound designers. So that's Song Hubs. That's, that, starts, that starts the week before high score. Uh, so that starts on, I think, the 26th of this month, which is next week, actually. Um, and um, after Song Hubs is high score. And uh, um, I have the honor of uh, giving the closing keynote uh, at, the, at that, which will be my first uh, a first for me uh, to to be doing that, which is uh, so the pressure's on. And High Score is great. Uh, it's a great event because um, it's really it focuses on audio for games, and uh, it's not just music. It's it's music and it's sound design and it's voice acting, and it's also about the technology, the implementation uh, of audio into games. Um, I know. Uh, uh, a colleague of mine, friend of mine, uh, Nathan Cummins, he does, uh, he transcribes uh, music from MIDI files into sheet music so that mus- live musicians can play stuff. And he's apparently giving a talk as well, which would be great, you know, because it'd be nice to see more live musicians used in, in game music. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's a bunch of people giving talks on the biz dev side of things. So high score is going to be a really cool event, and it's been going for the last few uh, few years. I think it um, went virtual over the sort of lockdown time, uh, but it's back in person, uh, and uh, I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in, in game audio. And I'm I'm helping show a game at PAX. It is uh, it is a sneak preview. It's a, it's another Witchbeam game. Uh, so this is the next game after unpacking, and it's called Tempopo, and uh, it is a really uh, interesting and fun game. So it's a very chilled puzzle game uh, where you uh, rescue musical flowers uh, from floating sky gardens. <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> so what happens is you've uh, got the this uh, playing field, which is literally floating in the sky. And um, you basically, uh, there are these flowers that are kind of singing to you or playing instruments to you. The flowers even look a little bit like musical instruments. And you have these little characters called Tempopo, and they bounce around. And wherever you've put an instruction to move or turn or jump or whatever, when they land on that instruction, they do the thing you you want them to. And so what happens is that you place all these instructions on the on the playing field, and then you hit play, and the music goes from sort of thinking, relaxing music to kind of boppy tunes. And now the whole world animates in time to the music and the little flowers sing and play in time with the background music and it all executes in time to the music 
um, it's not really it's not really a rhythm game per se because it's more of a puzzle game about moving things around, but it's presented in a rhythmic and musical fashion. So yeah, there's still a lot of work to go, uh, but it's been a lot of a lot of fun. It's been a lot of uh, uh, a good technical challenge because we're you know getting the music and the animations to line up really accurately so so it's really convincing that these little flowers are playing the music so um thank you so much for joining me on light map today jeff really appreciate it and uh yeah congratulations on the success of unpacking and and good luck with everything in the future thank you thanks for having me sifta is produced by nicholas kennedy fiona bartholomeus daniel ang and adam christu Mitch Lowe is senior producer and Gianni De Giovanni is our executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. You can find links to everything we talked about on our website, which is sifter.com.au. You can read more about the games and guests we've featured. Please share this show. It is the number one free thing you can do to support us. Word of mouth is really important to indie podcasts like this. So let your friends know if you reckon they'll enjoy it. Send them a link, make it easy for them to take part in the show, and we'll love you forever for it. That's all for now. Thanks for joining us. See you on the next episode of Lightmap. Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Unicorn Overlord might have a strange name, but don't dismiss its tactical prowess. It uses a, a tactics mode, um, and which is similar to the Gambit system that was in Final Fantasy XII for your um, uh, your squad mates. And you can say, okay, well, you know, Hodrick, who's my legionnaire with the big shield, I want him to prioritize protecting the back row. They're going to take the most damage. If they take a physical hit, they're going to go down, but I need them to be protected. So you can get quite granular with this, and I reckon you can build some pretty wild builds that are <laughs> totally game-breaking, um, but it's kind of the fun of the tactical squad-based gameplay in Unicorn Overlord. Tune in to Drop Rate to find out why Unicorn Overlord might just be one of 2024's sleeper hits. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.